Hello, and uh, well, welcome from me to you, whether you're at home, on your sofas, or whether you're in here. Um, really great to see more people back in the room, and hopefully this will just kind of maintain, and we'll see more and more people back in the coming weeks and months ahead. But um, we're carrying on our series in the book of Joshua, and, uh, which is in the Old Testament, so if you've got a, a Bible, you can be turning to that, um, Joshua chapter 2, we are in today. And we're, our series is called Courageous Faith, and... Um, like I said, it's this Old Testament book, and if you're new to the Bible, actually, or if you're kind of, or if you're old to the Bible sometimes, some of the Old Testament stuff you read, you're like, well, how on earth does this apply to my life today? How does this fit? You, particularly if we kind of do the random thing and open it up somewhere in, in the Old Testament, you might hit a verse and go, well, blow, I don't know what that means, and is it relevant to my life today? And what we've got to do, we've got to recognize that the, 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 the Old Testament, is, it, most of it, 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 a story, it's God's working out his purposes and, and, uh, in the earth through people and through people's lives, um, lives that are not always straightforward. And so there's context to these stories and to the words of the Old Testament. And it's like this book, Joshua. It's full of story. Well, it is a story. And um, God working his plans out through people when they're not always um, the most sorted of people. They're sometimes a bit, well, often messed up and fallible and so on. And we're going to be asking this morning, we've just been singing in the song just now, haven't we? It said, you know, I walk by faith and not by sight. Well, what does that look like? <laughs> My granddaughter is running to me here, in case you can't see online. Um, what does faith look like? What does walking by faith look like? If you're a Christian and someone stops you in the street... And today, say, or didn't stop you in the street because you can't because of social distancing. Let's imagine that didn't happen. But imagine someone did stop you in the street sometime in the future when it's safe and all the rest of it and asked you, well, what does, what does walking by faith been meant for you this week? I wonder how you'd reply to that. What would you say? And we're going to be looking at the life of Rahab. And we're going to pick up the story in, in, in chapter 2 in a moment. And Rahab uh, is an outsider, if you like, She's, she's an unlikely person, and um, she's mentioned in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 11, there's this list of people who have walked by faith and given examples of this amazing faith. And this unlikely person, Rahab, appears there. And I want to ask that question. What does it look like to walk by faith? How is it fleshed out in the life of Rahab? And the story so far is Moses, who has led the people out from Egypt, out from slavery and so on. He's handed leadership over to Joshua. Joshua is now about to take the people of God from Egypt into the promised land. And, um, and if you know, again, your, your, your Bible, Joshua. What does Joshua mean? What name is it? If you're in doubt in church context, say Jesus. It's Jesus, that's what the, Joshua is, the Hebrew for um, Yeshua, Jesus. And uh, it's really important, again, we read the stories of the Old Testament through the lens of Christ, through who Jesus is and what he says and so on, and ask what does it reveal about him and in what way does it point to him. And so you've got Joshua, edge of entering the promised land. Let's just read, we're not going to read the whole lot through, it's 24 verses, but we'll be picking through the story as we go. So chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies, secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. 
So these spies have been sent by Joshua. They are representatives of Joshua, and they've been sent into the land. They get to Jericho. It says here in this translation, I've got especially Jericho. Why was Jericho important? Well, more than likely, it was this strategic stronghold. It was a key kind of um, military stronghold kind of place. I think sometimes when we start to read of the cities here, um, we can think sometimes of a city like Norwich, you know, bustling with shops and all the rest of it like that. Well, Jericho, my understanding of it through others is that it was um, likely a, a military stronghold, a military base, um, and so on. So probably not packed full with civilians and so on. But the spies go there. They enter to, to check it out. And they enter Rahab's house, who was, like I said, was a prostitute. And maybe it's because men going in and out of this place wouldn't have been suspicious. Um, but also it's maybe that her house was a place that people found a place to lodge at nighttime, like a bit of a bed and breakfast. Airbnb didn't exist in those days, so, you know, the kind of um, place to lodge for the night and so on that was maybe the least suspecting place for them to be. And like I said, there's much to learn from this unlikely example of faith, who, like I said, appears in Hebrews 11, but also in Jesus, she might be the Rahab in Jesus' family tree, if you read the beginning of Matthew there. And so here was a woman's life, uh, this unlikely um, hero of faith, if you like. So what can we learn from her about courageous faith? Well, the first thing is this, is courageous faith welcomes Jesus. It says she welcomed the spies into her home. Well, how do we know that's faith in action there? How do we even know that? Well, if we go to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 11, we go and read what it says about Rahab in verse 31 there. It says, By faith she didn't perish after she'd welcomed the spies in peace. So welcoming Jesus was a sign of her faith being outworked. She welcomed, if you like, Jesus. Point Joshua, pointing forward to Jesus. Joshua had sent out these spies to represent him and to go into Jericho, and she'd welcomed them into her home, which was faith. Joshua's the name, the, the Jesus, the God who saves, the God who delivers. And how we know this, again, in the New Testament, Matthew 10, verse 40. This is the context here in Matthew, Matthew's gospel of Jesus sending out his disciples in pairs to go and take the message of who Jesus was to other people. And Jesus said this, whoever welcomes you the messengers, welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes him who sent me. The spies are sent on behalf of Joshua, representing him. Joshua points us to Jesus. Whenever you welcome Jesus, whenever you welcome the message of Jesus, you welcome Jesus, and you welcome God when you welcome Jesus. That's what's being said here. Jesus draws a straight line between himself and his father. You welcome Jesus, you welcome God. And people welcomed Jesus while, they were, while he was on earth. People had him into his, their, their houses. They invited him in. He sat at the table. I love it that Jesus didn't keep the kind of respected company of the day, if you like. It was people who were on the edge. It was unlikely people like Rahab who were welcomed, who you know, he sat around the table with, he enjoyed company with. He was a friend of sinners, the Bible says. And it's whoever. Whoever. I don't know. No one's excluded. Everybody's invited. 
Even Rahab, this outsider, this prostitute, was invited in. What about you? Do we exclude ourselves from the invitation Jesus gives from welcoming him into our homes, into our lives? Because of what we've done, because of our past life, because of the things that we've said, because of our history, Rahab welcomed them in. And I think this takes courage as well. Welcoming Jesus takes courage. Why? Well, I think we identify our lives with Christ. That takes courage in our modern life today, as it were. As people maybe say it's out of fashion and, um, you know, the, what Jesus says, you know, you're on the wrong side of history if you kind of don't believe, if you believe this stuff, what Jesus says, if you follow him. But it looks like identifying our life with Christ. That's what it looks like to welcome Jesus. And well, what might that look like for you? Well, if you're not baptized, actually, that's a, that's a welcoming Jesus. It's a saying, I'm identifying my life with Christ. Maybe you started to believe in Jesus, and actually it's time to get baptized. Then take that step. Welcoming Jesus looks like identifying with his church, with his people. Uh, Rahab, she was going to become part of the people of God. It wasn't just kind of Rahab and her relationship with God and in our highly individualistic culture and society, sometimes people say, well, it's just me and Jesus, we've got our thing going, and I'm good with that. And church is kind of extra, added extra. Well, no, not according to the Bible, it's not. Not according to Jesus, it's not. Actually, you're added into his body, and that means taking place in a, a concrete community of God's people in the here and now, in a specific place and time and so on. Connecting into relationships. That's why our relationships are so important. Being part of a local church is so key. But if we're going to welcome Jesus, it means we get added into his body, his church. I'd encourage you, if you're not connected into a local congregation, maybe you're looking in here, maybe you're trying to find your way, get connected in. Gather together, meet together, work out following Jesus together. And welcoming Jesus means giving him access to all areas of our home as well. It's not kind of come in the front door and, and, and just stay in the hallway, please, Jesus. Because I don't really want you to go in the lounge and I don't want you to go in the attic. My goodness, if you go in the attic, I don't know what you're going to find in the attic, Jesus. But if we welcome Jesus into our lives, it's access to every area. It's the whole of our lives. And again, that's costly. Rahab didn't go with the crowd. She didn't go with the flow of her culture, of everyone around her. She was willing to go against that. And that just means daily decisions of kind of saying, Jesus, yeah, all my life is yours. My home, who I am, it's all yours. Welcoming Jesus is courage, takes courageous faith. And then the story goes on. Um, in verse 2 to 7, we read the king of Jericho was told of their presence, and he sends some um, officers there to the house to, to, to arrest these spies. And they come into the house, and they have this encounter with Rahab. And she has this conversation where she basically says, oh, I don't know where they've gone or where they're going, and, and so no, they're not here anymore. Well, was she telling the truth? No. No. <laughs> Have you heard that online? <laughs> My granddaughter Isla said, no, she's absolutely spot on. No, she wasn't telling the truth because they were hiding. She'd hid them on the roof. And yet she says they're not here. Now, look, just to take a little sidestep from the story, that raises a question in my mind, doesn't it? It draws me into the story and saying, well, hang on a minute, because it doesn't tell me whether that was a wrong or right thing to do. Was it right for her to lie? 
Because she's protecting someone else, or was it wrong? Should she have told the truth? And it made me think of the story in Corrie ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, and Corrie ten Boom and her family, they hid Jews in World War II, protected them. And there's a bit of chapter in here where it talks about how officers had come into their house and, uh, and they're asking, where are the men of the house? And trying to find these brothers. And they just hid two of them underneath the floor, which was underneath the table. And these women sat around the table, and uh, the officers come in, kind of, where are the guys? Where are your brothers? Oh, one's at theological college. Yes, but where are the other two? And Corrie ten Boom writes there that through her head shot this kind of, surely it's okay to lie in these circumstances. Because the Bible seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Speak truth. New Testament says this really clearly. Lying is not good. Speaking truth matters. It was interesting in that story, in Corrie ten Boom, the story there, that, that, that one of her sisters, as, as the, the officer pressed, where are your two brothers? She said, oh, they're hiding under the table. And the officers whipped off the sort of tablecloth and looked at her, oh, you're being silly, you're taking the mick. And they left. Well, she kind of told the truth. But there was other things that they were deceiving in there. They had all these passes that they'd had to deceive to get. I mean, when, how do you work this stuff out? And it's important we grapple with these things. Uh, a couple of things helped me. It's kind of called Sam Storms. And I might include this link, his little article um, in the, the Life Group um, um, word sheet. He says this, A lie is an intentional falsehood that violates someone's right to know the truth. A lie is an intentional falsehood that violates someone's right to know the truth, but there are cases in which people forfeit their right to know the truth. Right, that's interesting. Now, I'm not saying I totally agree with this. I'm trying to work this out. I don't know what I would do in that situation. But in connection with this, in another instance in the Bible, when these midwives in Egypt are asked to kill the baby boys by Pharaoh, and the midwives end up basically kind of lying to Pharaoh, saying, yeah, no, 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 we haven't managed to get there in time because the women, they give birth too quickly. They're so vigorous. Well, they're deceiving, aren't they, there? And another writer says this, um, Tremper Longman III, what a great name. He says, Pharaoh forfeited his right to the truth by his murderous intentions toward Israelite baby boys. Now, again, we've got to think through this stuff. Just because the Bible says it happened doesn't mean it's a good thing. God does work in and through flawed human beings, messed up people who get it wrong. He, he works in a way to bring evil out of good, ultimately, and that's what we see on the cross. Evil being done to Jesus there, that people are responsible for their actions, and yet incredible good coming through it. Again, just didn't want to skim over that really and try and help us think through it a little bit. But again, chew these things over maybe in your life groups as you gather with others in the week. So back to courageous faith. Well, courageous faith welcomes Jesus. Courageous faith is humbled before Jesus. We get back to the story here. Verse 8 says, Now before they lay down on the roof, she came up to them and said to the men, I know the Lord has given the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted. No courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven and on earth beneath 
Here Rahab is, she's heard of what God has done through his people, the way he's delivered them out of Egypt. It was like God's reputation had preceded him in this context. The Lord has given you, there's dread in our hearts, our hearts are melting, there's no courage left. There was this revelation of who God is and what God was doing. There's a sense of even judgment coming here. And, and, And Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, spoke about judgment more than anyone else. You read about it in the New Testament. And so there's this kind of stories coming to her. There's this revelation. He is God in heaven and on earth. And rather than kind of resist with pride, she responds with humility. She accepts the message. She accepts the stories of who God is in this context. And her response is to be humble in it. And in Luke chapter 5 in the Gospels, you've got this story where Peter... Is with, Jesus is with Peter and the disciples, and they've been out fishing all night. They haven't caught any fish. And Jesus says to Peter, well, put your boats out again. We're going to go fishing again, lads. And they put the nets down, and tons of fish comes in. And Peter's response to Jesus at that point is to fall at his feet and to acknowledge and say, I'm a sinner. Away from me. There's a humility there in response to who Jesus is and who God is revealed to be in Christ. We're brought to our knees. We're humbled. It's important that faith is like that, actually. Faith isn't, um, it's, it's, you know, we're not proud. It's not, it doesn't start with us. Actually, in light of who Jesus is, we realize, actually, well, I fall far short. I need God's grace, and it humbles us. It brings us to our knees. And it's important that with our faith, if it's to be living and it's to be alive, that we've got this expanding understanding of who this is that we're called to know in Jesus In the book of Revelation, when John sees Jesus, what does he do? Do you know? Stand up and say, I'm sorted. I know you can't speak out in here. (laughs) He falls down. Sign language, Gary, thank you. He falls down at Jesus' feet. Courageous faith is humble before Jesus. And that's kind of a daily deal as walking by faith as well. Each day... We start on our knees. You know, I often said the Christian life is like this. It's on our knees, on our feet, on our knees, on our feet. We start each day, as it were, on our knees before God, recognizing we wake up into the amazing grace of God and have an expanding revelation of who Jesus is in our lives because that will fuel our lives with courage to take steps of faith as well. So courageous faith welcomes Jesus. Courageous faith is humble before Jesus And finally, courageous faith sets its hope on Jesus. Verse 12 to 13. Now therefore, Rahab says, please swear to me by the Lord, since I've dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household. And give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them. And deliver our lives from death. If you know the Bible, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to point forward here and see who this points us to. But Rahab here responds by asking for mercy. Deal kindly and faithfully with me and my family. And then we read on in the story, verse 15 and 21 to 21, talks about how she said, well, how will, when, when, when your armies kind of come in, how are you going to know that to, to not come into my household, that that will be a safe place and it will be a refuge? And she said, I'll leave a scarlet cord outside the window and that will be hanging there. That will be a sign outside the window that, that her household and those that had been brought into her household, that they would be kept safe as the armies come. 
And maybe here there's a hint back to Exodus. Again, you know, I've said before, the Bible is this hyperlinked text. It takes us into different places. As we go in one story, it takes us to another place. And like back into Exodus, the story there is God's judgment came and, and, and the people's, God's people sacrificed lamb, put blood on their doorposts, stay within that household, and, and the angel of death would pass over. And again here, this scarlet cord that's put out. Now, we've got to be careful, I think, um, of the color of scarlet uh, uh, here and leap to, oh, it must be talking about the blood. It must be talking about Jesus' sacrifice. And well, not necessarily. It might have just been a scarlet cord. Um, so we've got to be careful in terms of how we make links and things like that in the New Testament. But certainly it does point us to Jesus. Why? Because cord in Hebrew here actually is the same meaning of a word called of hope. Same kind of word, hope. And that certainly points us forward to Jesus as she received this pledge of truth, she said, that she would be protected in that. We receive what the gospel says, that we're forgiven, what we've been singing about all morning. You take hold of these things, that pledge of truth, and we set our hope on Jesus, just like she set her hope on Joshua, on his mercy, on his faithfulness, and he points us to Jesus. Hope is just this essential aspect of a healthy life. And, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to say that. You know, psychiatrists will tell you that. People have got hope for the future. They want hope in that the vaccine's going to work and we're kind of coming out of COVID. And there's hope in people. We hope someone will put things right. What is wrong? We hope for a better future. Based in the sort of present pledge of truth, if you like. And Jesus is that truth. In fact, again, we go to the New Testament. See what it says about Rahab. It says in James 2.25 that she was justified by her works when she received the messengers. You know that? She was justified by her works when she received the messengers. And just as we receive the message of Christ, we're made right before God by his grace and putting our trust in him. Jesus actually said, this is the work of God, to believe in the one who was sent. She believed in the message that these messengers brought in the messengers himself, who represented Joshua, who points us to Jesus and tells us the same thing. You take hold of this message. You will be made right before God. Your relationship will be wonderfully restored, and you can go into every day with an incredible hope that he promises us. In fact, 1 Peter 1.3 says, In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it doesn't fade, it doesn't go, as we take hold of the truth. Have you set your hope on Jesus? It's a daily deal, really. Each day, Lord, I'm trusting you. Life could be throwing 101 things at you. You could be facing a million and one difficult things. But actually, Lord, my hope is in you. It's a daily deal. And there's just these lovely words here that kind of struck me as a kind of prayer, if you like, where it says that she said, deal kindly with me don't we all need kindness isn't it great when someone deals kindly with us yeah when you're having one of those days and maybe you're not being the most kind person and yet someone shows you kindness in that moment isn't it great isn't it a wonderful thing Deal kindly with me. When we take that as a prayer and we ask God, deal kindly with me, 
That is totally and utterly in line with the way that I think God would want us to pray because it's totally and utterly in line with who God is. God is love and love is kind. And therefore, when we say, God, deal kindly with me, we're in line in praying with the character and the nature of God and what he's promised in Jesus as well. Because when you, again, you read the gospel stories, you see kindness on display. And in no greater place do you see kindness on display than in the cross. God giving himself for us. That's the kindness of God. And it's that kindness that causes us to welcome Jesus and to humble ourselves before Jesus and set our hope on Jesus as well. And uh, Rahab's name, just to end on this, her name itself means um, spacious and wide. I mean, that's what her name means. And Psalm 37 verse 7 says, God has brought me out into a spacious place. Rahab was brought out into a spacious place. She was rescued and saved and became part of the people of God. And Jesus brings us into the wide place of God's love, kindness, and grace. And it's a promise for all who continue to welcome him, humble themselves before him, and set their hope on him. That's what courageous faith looks like. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And Kev, do you want to come up? I just want to leave us with a question, really. Um, Guy's going to lead us in a song and maybe think about this question. Just what would, what would, what does courageous faith look like for you this week? What does it look like if someone were to stop you next week in the street and ask you, well, what's courageous faith look like for you this week? I wonder, looking ahead, what might a step of faith look like for you this week? And Lord, I pray for the amazing grace of God and an expansive view of who you are that enables us to take those steps of faith in the first place for each one of us. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Kev now. Good to be with you all.